Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. I am Joe Sarvati, affectionately known as Coach, and I am joined once again by my playing partner, Mr. Andrew Hansen, and we are here to discuss a major, a PGA major, and it's at an awesome venue. We cannot wait to watch this at Kiowa Island, and my man Andrew here actually has course knowledge because he played it a year or two ago, so... How are you today, Andrew, and are you as fired up as I am for this event? I am. I cannot hold back the excitement to talk about the event at this course because it is absolutely beautiful. It has to be the my favorite course I've ever played. I've only played wow. it once, so it doesn't have the sentimental um, ring to it that you know, like the home course that I grew up playing has. But in terms of other courses, it's just simply phenomenal. The condition, the view, right on the ocean— and if you start to dig in a little bit and learn about it, 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 it you know it has ten holes on the ocean, on the Atlantic Ocean, which is the most in any course in the U.S. And it wow. has it has a unique layout. Uh, it's you know all these sand and and beautiful views and and great history there with the Ryder Cup, the PGA in 2012. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am fired up to talk about it. That is awesome. We can't wait to get some of your insight. So great stuff. So once again, it's the it's the 2021 PGA Championship on the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island, South Carolina. And here's the big news. 7,876 yards, which is the longest in history of the majors. How about that, Andrew? It is a beast. Uh, and you know the, I mean, this is a good time to talk about the layout and the wind because it is so unique. It has a bit of a links feeling in that you go out and back, but it's not just out nine back in the other nine. It's you go out one way and you're inland for a few holes, then you come back along the water, and then you go out on the back nine and you're inland, and you come back along the water for 14 through 18. So that's how yeah. you end up getting 10 holes on the water, and the wind. You know, it really gusted in that 2012 PGA Championship. Uh, yes. You've got the weather forecast. It shouldn't gust as much. Right. But these holes are built up into the air, so you get a nice view. So they're elevated, and there's yeah. no trees. I mean, this is a dune-style no. course. So right. any sort of wind. You're on the ocean. <laughs> you're on the ocean. You're elevated. So any sort of wind maximizes itself, uh, yeah. unlike most venues where it's blocked by the trees. Um, well, here, here's the good news, though. The good news is, you know, in the history of playing this course, and I know you'll share some of it, too, and I've had family members and stuff that have played it. We've all, you know, talked about it. And it seems like there's a lot of days there where you get some big wind gusts, 20, 30 miles an hour or more. And that's what they were talking about. You know, my I watched the, the golf channel there with Shambly and all those guys. They were saying, man, when, when it's 30-mile-an-hour winds hitting you in some of those holes, it could be anywhere from a four-iron four to a wedge to, you know, when there's not wind. So it's you know it, it has those different uh, elements to it. But here's the good thing. No rain at all predicted for the four days. Temperatures all between 75 and 86 all four days. And no wind beyond the 9 to 16 mile an hour range. So that at least is going to give them a, a chance. It will make it easier and and help on the scores a little bit, but 
it's still a behemoth with oh, some God. tricky spots that if you get into, you can make some massive numbers. Um, and so we'll get into some of those. But let me add on to the discussion about the wind right? Uh, and how, how different it can be in terms of the direction. So on the front nine, there's this par five. It's the seventh hole. Justin Thomas was just talking about it today. It's 590 yards, and he played it with a driver and an eight iron. Okay, because he was, he was downwind. So yeah. driver eight iron on 590 That's because sickening. of the wind, and and that is actually the the hole that I remember that I was actually um, I, I don't think it was 590. I was probably playing a tee a little bit closer, obviously, but it was driver three wood, and I was right next to the green in two. So it was a very reachable par five, you know. And and one of the one of the you know the three words actually that come to mind when I think about this course are wide, wind, mm-hmm. and waste bunkers. My three W's. Uh, so this is yikes. one of the. There, there's a lot of driving holes that uh, it, it's sort of wide. It's, it's wide open. You don't have these narrow, you know, dog legs with trees, and so it feels a little bit easier in that sense. Is that you have a big landing area. As long as you don't hit it 50 yards off the fairway and hit it in the sand dunes, you're, you're going to be fine. And there are these holes with you have a little wind behind you. Uh, it's it's easy enough to get there in two and, and, and put up some good scores um, if the wind is cooperating. Um, right. So so that's the, the good side of it. But then if you get to the back nine, this is the nine that's a lot longer on the scorecard for these pros. It's over 4,000 yards. It's crazy. And you've got these two par threes that I want to talk about, 14 and 17. So 14 is, is my favorite hole in the course because I'm out there with my, my golf buddies, Zach and Dave. Shout out to them. Uh, it was Zach's bachelor party. That's why we, we, uh, we had the nice. occasion to go out there. So and, you know, No just, alcoholic refreshments? <laughs> of course not. No. Uh, so it was great to be out there with them. But So this was the hole, the 14th, is when you turn back towards the clubhouse. It's this par three where you're facing the ocean. So it's a beautiful view, and I made a par. So of course it's my, it's basically my favorite hole in the course to go. make a par. Yeah, but that's the only one you got to remember. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, for, but fourteen and seventeen, uh, right now on the scorecard they're between two twenty to two forty. So they're longer par threes, and this is where these pros have been playing into the wind this week. And so Justin Thomas is talking about. If they use the back tees and the wind is in your face, you could have to hit a driver on this par three. <laughs> so you go from hitting driver eight iron into a, f- a par five to hitting a driver on a par three. That's crazy. Uh, and then the seventeenth hole, you'll see that on on TV here. Uh, that one's you know to, to over two hundred and thirty yards. It's uh, a, a famous hole because it's you know Pete Dye course. It's sort of like yeah. seven, the seven the Island Green at uh, TPC Sawgrass. Sawgrass. Where it's, yeah. it's water from tea to green, and you, so you have to hit over the water. It's over 230 yards. It's on the left side of the green. There's this huge bunker, um, and and so it, you don't you can't miss. But it's over right. 230 yards over water with wind. So Jeez. it's just extremely challenging. And I so I did not par that one, Coach. Uh, <laughs> I think I hit one into the into the water. Then I hit one left to try to make sure I didn't hit in the water, and then. It's it's no easy task from there. Yikes. So, mark the other down and move on. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the the moral of the story is it it really will come down to the wind, the wind direction about which holes these guys can take advantage of, uh, and how how high the scores end up being. Well, I, I, you know, I'll tell you though, these guys are so damn good. They're playing, you know, their practice rounds now. The fact that 
you know, I'm sure the winds will shift directions, but the fact that it's not, you know, this day is going to be really windy and this day's, you know, it's going to be consistent. I mean, I couldn't believe four days of weather that consistent in that region because I've been to the whole Myrtle Beach thing and all those areas playing golf. And it seems like there's always shifting weather, but, um, you know, they're going to they're going to have at least the same conditions. So I think they may score a little bit better because I know it's ludicrous, 78, 76, but you're talking a guy talking about guys like, you know, DeChambeau and, and Rom and all these guys that uh, they, they take that distance and settle that down real quick and uh, and can score. So I think we're going to see a little bit better scores than a lot of people are expecting. That's just what I think anyway. Yeah, I mean, you look at the 2012, Rory was 13 under, nobody else yep. was under, was 10 under. Not even close. I mean, he smashed yep. the field, he won by eight, right? Which is the record for the most strokes won for a PGA event. He broke Jack Nicklaus's record of winning by seven. So you think Rory has a, a nice feeling in his uh, tummy about this one? Oh, He's got to be he fired sure does. up. Yeah, after yep. that, and then, of course, he won at the Wells Fargo, his last event, he went back to his old irons and yeah. you know Rory's one of those guys coach that I don't often pay up for but me I'm, neither. I'm having a hard time thinking about uh entering a lineup this week without him what do you think I mean you know you look at the fact that he's rounding into form he's won an event he's obviously got a phenomenal history with this course but you know here's a couple things that was 9 years ago so that's that's or longer is that is that right nine years nine ago years ago yeah yeah so it's you know it's been quite a while and you know i just i have so much trouble trusting them but the odds makers in vegas and i'll go through some of these odds here in it, just a bit he's the favorite he's 11 to 1 and you know the lines have moved people are betting and he's still the favorite so you know a lot of people are with you um, I'm not sure I'm going to go there for sure, but it is, like you said, it's very tempting. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, so far building lineups, I think you can make it work with, uh, you know, a mid tier build after that. It is a, a stacked field, you know? <sighs> oh yeah. All I mean, the, everybody's there. Yeah. Everybody's there and ready to go. Um, and he, you know, he also, he checks off some of the, bo the, the boxes with driving distance, et cetera. The one oh, other yeah. thing, he, he said something inter interesting about how it will, not only has it been nine years, but that one was played in August. And that's right. He described it as being a little bit more lush around the greens, a little bit easier to get a, a lie where the ball is, you know, fluffed up a little bit versus now where it's a little tighter, shorter grass, more runoff. Yeah. And there are some, you know, around these greens areas that it, it's a small target. And if you miss it, it cascades down into some undesirable areas so that the scrambling, the short game is going to come into play for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and you can talk a little bit on course history here, but I, I agree with with that statement as, as the biggest and most important one here is I'm not really looking at course history here much at all this this week. And the reason being is we've seen this in just tournaments recently. When you play these events, like the Masters, they played it in the fall, now they played it in April, it's like playing a completely different course because the conditions are different, the winds are different, the grass 
level is different, the size of how things have grown out or not grown out. So playing this event in May uh, at Kiowa is definitely a different situation than they played here when they played the Ryder Cup in the fall and when they played in August at that last PGA. So I wouldn't concern yourself with, obviously don't fall into the trap of, you know, how did the last couple of PGAs go? Because they're different courses. It means almost nothing. And then also just even looking back at 2012, I'm not as, you know, uh, taken by that as I would be normally because of the time difference in when they're playing the tournament. Yeah, and I might as well just hit on some of the guys who did play that week and play well. I agree that it's yeah. it's not as useful as, say, the Masters that right. played in April, usually, right? So if you look at the last five Masters, it's a much different comparison. But Rory obviously has the good feelings here. Keegan Bradley finished tied for third. Wow. Justin Rose, here's a good example. He finished tied for third. Um and he, f- he had a decent finish at the Masters this year because he had one good round, that opening round. But other than that, he's been pretty in- inconsistent. So I don't, I don't think you take that T3 and, and, and predict that it's going to be replicated. Uh, how about my man Steve Stricker, though? That's part of the reason why I wanted to mention oh, this. He no. finished tied for seventh. <laughs> he finished yep. tied for seventh. He's, a, he's the Ryder Cup captain, so he's, he's playing. And uh, you know certainly... Uh, he has been playing more because of that, and he's in the groove, been playing well. Uh, Bubba finished tied for 11th. Louis Oosthuizen was tied for 21st. Uh, Duffner, back when he was playing more, playing well, he was a T27. Your man Leishman played, tied for 27th. And then DJ yeah. tied for 48th. And then we had some guys who missed the cut, like Sergio. Um, so, you know, I think for some of those guys, it, it could help a tiny bit. Uh, even if they didn't play that well, they have the experience of, of you know, learning their lesson, so to speak, yeah. of what they need to do. Um, yeah. But Rory, I mean, he, you know, that that was that was at the stage where his length was, you know, really significant compared to some of his peers, and he took advantage of it. And uh, he did. Uh, I'll tell you though, it's amazing how different, how much changes in nine years. I mean, you look at the, you know, the photos of those guys, Rory looks like a little kid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just amazing how uh, it's a decade almost. So, you know, a lot of things change for sure, but uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. So what, how about stats? Yeah. Lightness, because this is key. And I know driving is obviously going to be in there. Yeah. Driving distance this week, which is not something we typically look at, but no, you have to on a course like this. So yeah. looking at the guys who are in the top twenty who are playing this week, Bryson, of course, Rory, right there, still at number two. Yeah. Um, Cam Champ, Wyndham Clark is a, a value play who's up there. A Joaquin Neiman is a guy that is on my radar because he's you know he's a slight. He's not a big guy, and no. you kind of lose track of him as a big hitter, but. He is. He's seventy eight hundred. He always makes cuts. Usually top twenty. Uh, so I'm looking at him as a, a glue guy for the lineup. Dustin mm. Johnston still in the top ten driving distance. And then eleven through twenty, we have your man Gary Woodland, who I, I'm fond of as well. Fratelli, Cameron Davis, Sergio, Adam Scott, and then the big hitters Rahm and Kepka. Mm. So I'm all, surprised Scott's still in there. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Pretty impressive for a guy in his mid 40s, right? 
Yeah, that's that's tough. So all those guys, to me, that gives them a little bit of a bump. I don't think you need to make your lineup exclusively with guys from that list, but right. it, it certainly gives them advantage because I mean we are talking about the longest major ever. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe, and not only is it the longest ever, but you got water everywhere yes, in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it makes for a really fun uh, event. I'll tell you though, the guys that can hit it deep and then have a, an iron in their hands. The one thing about the greens here and watching, you know, uh, different tournaments and talking with you know people like yourself that played the course, the greens are fair. It's not going to be like those greens they are. where you if you land it like some of the U.S. Open events where if you land it two feet off of where you want to land it, it rolls off, you know, 50 yards. It's, you know, you'll get some fair chances once you get there. And then it's just a matter of rolling, you know, getting hot with the putter. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the other thing that stood out to me on that course playing it is I've never had a, a green where all, every single green, it rolled so true. Yeah. And there was something about it. I didn't quite, I didn't know what it was. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on grass, but in circling back and doing the research, I learned that the grass there is called paspalum. And huh. you don't hear about that normally. You hear about no. Poa and Bermuda. Ben. And and, yep. yeah. and so uh, I read a little bit more and learned that it doesn't have any grain. And it started to make sense why huh. on that day, everything seemed to roll so true. And I'm not an expert putter, but... I hit some long putts that I got it started on the right line and it went in and it, it over the round I built up confidence of if I just get it started on the right line it's going to roll true and it's going to go in. And nice. so I think that putting is uh for a lot of the guys it's going to it's going to help them if they're not expert, you know, top 20 putters because it it rolls so true and uh I looked at one other stat because of that is I looked at uh, one of the recent events. The Mayakoba Golf Classic back in December in Mexico was also on Paspal and Grass. And okay. uh, Victor, Victor Hovland won that week. And so I looked at uh, looked at some of the standings from that week, guys who are I think are going to hear about that, see it, and have a little bit more confidence that, uh, hey, I can get hot on this grass. Because we know that yeah. these guys, they do, um, they do seek out courses that have certain grass oh certain no makeup, doubt and what go, they grew up putting yeah. on generally is yeah. where they want to go back to right and so this one you don't hear about it as much but i think it's no. important so if you look at that event back in december uh hovland won it um aaron wise uh finished second he's a value play harris english had a top five carlos ortiz uh abraham answer had a strong finish there and even stricker uh, was a top hmm. 20. Um, so those guys will get a little bit of a bump and, and that, uh, uh, I agree. It's, it is, um, it's not as penal, like you say, in, uh, in some of these other major championships. And, and in fact, I heard a couple guys refer to it as sticky. So it, That's, it's, they love that, you know, they're yeah. shooting for pins when it's like that. Exactly. Yeah. So fantastic. Good yeah. in good, good insight. No doubt. The, uh, the final stat I looked at was strokes gained approach, and we, we look at that a lot, but I do... It's probably the most important stat, really. Yeah, in general, I, I really think it is, and I think it plays into this one. I mean, you can't... This is not a course for 
shorter hitters with who are good at with strokes gained approach. You you obviously have to have the length as well, but yeah. there are just enough holes where um, you have a, a little smaller target, and if you miss, then you're going to be in a real a real tough spot. So you do need to hit the right uh, sector of the green if possible. So looking at that top ten guys here, Colin Morikawa, of course, Justin Thomas, Will Zalatoris, Matt Wallace, Russell Henley. Uh, Corey Connors, Keegan Bradley, Tyrrell Hatton, and Paul Casey. So I think they all hmm. get uh, a, a little bit better bump also. Uh, with a lot that. of foreign guys in that group. Yep. Yeah. No uh, they're used it. to that, you know, target golf, you know, hit it here, hit it here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No doubt. Very good. Very good. Uh, let's look at a couple of, of the Vegas odds because that, that usually dictates a little bit on you know where the a lot of the play is going to go in the DFS world for sure, and again Rory's the favorite eleven to one and certainly deserves to be with his recent form and then his course history. Uh, then you got a bunch of guys all jammed up: uh, John Rahm and Justin Thomas, Bryson DeChambeau and Jordan Spieth are all fourteen to one. So you got a big group with that shot, and then uh, the next tier. Uh, it's it's 18 to one Dustin Johnson. How about the fact that he's like the eighth or ninth choice? He's always in the top two. Yeah. You know, he, he's always chalk, but he's down there. You know, you, you get 18 to one on him if, if you think he's going to hit. Then you have a, a guy I've been looking at and decided I was going to go with. Now I've decided I'm not going to go with him, but I'll explain that a little bit more here shortly. But Xander Shoffley, who's 22 to one. And then you have Morikawa at 30. But here's a guy that has jumped past those last four that I mentioned, and it's Victor Hovland. He is now 20 to 1. He's even past Shoffley. He's just behind, behind Dustin Johnson. So what you stated and what we've all watched and what it, you know, this type of grass, etc. Hovland is the uh, darling here of the guy that could be chalk in DFS that's getting the Vegas attention. So something to keep keep uh, uh, mind to. Then you've got what I what I call this group, Andrew, is the group that could win and pay off for you. These guys are all capable winners of this event, and you can get a great return. 35 to 1 on Patrick Reed, 40 to 1 on Tony Finau, 45 to 1 on Patrick Cantley and Webb Simpson. I mean, you know, those are guys that are chalked in some events. And uh, a guy that, that just moved up here th uh, this morning, Daniel Berger was 50 to 1. He's now 30 to 1. So somebody is triple cheeseburger in it here and going for it with uh, Berger. And then how about these guys? I, I, I hate to keep going, and, and but it just, it's amazing the value. Uh, on betting this event and all the majors because of all the good players. I would take 50 to one on Scheffler, 55 to one on Sam Burns, who's, I mean, is, is there been many players hotter than him recently? He, he doesn't know how to finish out of the top two anymore. I mean, he's just been there every uh, constantly and he just isn't getting any respects, respect in the odds or in the DFS world. Uh, really? And then just a couple more because, again, worth a few bucks. 55 to 1, Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrrell Hatton, 75 to 1, 
for Sunjay M. And my guy, Will Zalatoris, was 75 to 1, down to 55 to 1. So I'll tell you what, I could be uh, loosening the uh, pockets here, playing a, a couple of these guys, top 10, top 3, and then obviously, you know, take a shot at a few of the winners. But, you know, Paul Casey, 66 to 1. I mean, that's a guy that knows how to win. Abraham Answer, 60 to 1. Joaquin Neiman, what a great play. You mentioned him early, 60 to 1. Uh, mine, the guy I like, uh, Leishman, 75 to 1. So, man, wide open event, great players. Um, it, it, just amazing. And, and I'm going to, I'll give you a, a, a two, just for fun, two, two quiz question here. Ready? Yeah, ready. What do you think my man Max Homa is to win this event? You know, he's won. He's playing great. He's making cuts all the whole nine yards. How about 90 to 1? 100 to 1. I thought that was surprising. And then I've got one more for you. Yeah. A guy that you mentioned earlier that has course history here, a guy that we know gets extremely hot and can just reel it, rip it off, Bubba Watson. Uh. 110 100 also also 100 okay yes but still you know when can you get 100 to 1 on bubba watson yeah two time masters champion uh again he finished tied for 11th here in the previous pga you know there's a lot of guys in that group most almost all of them i wouldn't be surprised if they won and so it's the old 2020 where you, you you know if one of those 60 or 70 to 1 guys wins you're going to be kicking yourself next week oh man but you, you know you can't really bet them all and then because then no. all the value disappears but they are pretty attractive and i think that's going to be a theme that we have here for years to come probably in these majors because the field is so deep and uh, you can't have everybody at the at the odds of of a rory um, right Couple. Yeah, and then and then converting that to DFS standards, you know, we see that in the pricing. And I've tried to build some lineups uh, here prior to, and yeah, you know, it's I'm going to probably be more in that medium build group because that you know the the guys that I had mentioned that are like 35 to one to 100 to one. There are a lot of guys in there that are priced fairly that could win this thing. So it's just, a, and I don't think you have to, it's not like when you've got, you know, McElroy and JT and then a bunch of chumps. I mean, this is everybody that can play it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go stars and scrubs with my initial builds here. It's very, very easy to fill in, you know, that medium to upper medium level group and feel good about every guy at least making the cut and taking a run at it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it really is. I agree. A um, couple more notes on some of the guys you mentioned. Max Homa has a replacement caddy this week. Bones Mackay is going to oh, jump wow. in for him. So that's a nice boost. And he's, man, it's he's a tough one to, to evaluate this week. He played well in that Mayakoba on this putting surface. He had the, the tie for six at Valspar. Uh, but last time out, missed the cut 77-76. So how much does Bones come in and rescue him and spark him? Uh, and he's, like you said, he's uh, long odds and cheap in, in uh, DFS, only 7,300 on DraftKings. Yeah. So there are guys in that category like that. Um, some of the pairings are interesting here. 
uh, especially with the guys you mentioned, Spieth and Zalatoris are playing together. Yeah, we know they. That's grew a up. that's a boost for both of them because yeah. they're buddies from T- Dallas here, right? Um, and then Reed, he gets to play. Patrick Reed gets to play with Fleetwood and Rom, and oh so my it's going to feel like a Ryder Cup for him. And, yes. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see if if he's fired up because of that. But can I share something real quick on yeah. Patrick Reed? You know, I've gotten into this habit now, and and I'll tell you what, I strongly recommend it. If you play decent money in PGA DFS. Really, you know, take the couple hours. What I do is I'm scouting for the next day in basketball and everything, and I get in front of the TV with my computer and I'm doing my work while I'm listening. But I listen to that that PGA network a couple of nights before an event, especially a major. And they like this week it's live from the PGA and it's Chambly and and Justin Leonard and those guys and they are just really really good at what they do. And they, they bring his stories on certain guys, you know, and talk about things. And it really helps, you know, prepare you for the slate before you're looking at prices and everything. And they did a, a couple stories, two I want to mention real fast, but uh, I thought were very interesting. Patrick Reed, they talked about, and they they said that he is now in a better place. He's playing better. He feels better. You know, he's gone through some trials and tribulations with all that, you know, the cheating stuff. And that was news for a while that seems to have sort of slipped under the rug now but i guess he rented a house that he's rented now a couple of years in a row right by the course he has his wife and his uh soon to be seven-year-old son with him and they said he looks more relaxed and more focused and then they they uh interviewed him and he he did a practice round where he'd hit his drive but then he wouldn't go hit the shot where he hit his drive he took himself every hole into a place where he'd be in a little bit of trouble. Like I may, you know, if I hit it here, then he'd play his ball from there. So he tried making it tougher to be more, you know, realistic of if he misses any of these shots to be prepared. I thought that was a unique approach that you don't hear very often. He played the whole round like that, and he said it just gave him a lot of confidence that even if he goes astray a little bit on any of these holes. He knows what to play or what to expect uh, distance-wise and everything else. So I like that I'll tell lot. you what, man. He he was tough as nails when they played the Ryder Cup there. And he is a good player, and he is going to make uh, a lot of my lineups as a very quiet guy that I don't think is going to get as much attention as he usually does. Yeah, I'm, I think that's a very wise approach to practicing especially at a course like this and i i think i mentioned very brief briefly the waste bunkers but there are some enormous bunkers and some of them have a huge lip so to speak and so you need to get comfortable with those now in case you're in them so that you have more confidence and there's one bunker in particular i think it was the 16th and it was like a wall of a bunker right next to the green i mean it is a do not enter type 20 foot high wall uh, so that that's what it felt like, at least um, in a couple of years, it'll probably oh, be 25. Geez. But, um, you know, if they're walking around, if he's walking around and, and dropping a couple of balls in there and just in case, and then, you know, he experiments with it a little bit. I think that right. that can give him an edge for sure. Yeah, I just thought it was a unique approach and I liked his demeanor and, you know, he's it's all up in his head. And and I was going to point the same thing out, you know, as you did. I, I love the fact that he's. Uh, up against two studs, you know, from the European side. I think that 
you know, that puffs his chest out. And, and it also, you know, everybody likes to boo him and everything. But the fact that he's going to be out there with two, you know, foreign guys in Ryder Cup being in everybody's brain, I think he's going to get some some good support at, at Kiowa. So I think that helps him. The other guy I'll mention real quick is, and, and this is what got me to, to pull away from him. I was starting to question myself anyway, but Xander Shoffley was originally in my first sketch out of, of my lineups, but I'll t- I did not like the interview with him at all. He, they showed statistically what's happened to him putting, and I don't know if if you followed you know statistically with him, but he was one of the top putters on the tour for the last three years. I mean, like way up, and all of a sudden he's now just plummeted. He's way like in the one eighties. And he's just not putting the ball well and without confidence. And when they interviewed him, he was talking about his game and he was talking about his putting. And he just seemed very unsure of himself. He, he did not sound confident. And, he you know, comments like, well, we'll see what how this works. And, you know, we've adjusted this and we're tweaking this. And so it was like, not settled in feeling like I'm ready to attack this course. You know, there were several comments that just didn't look like a guy that was was fired up to get out there. So definitely a little worried about Xander. Now, again, with his talent and, you know, with his length and everything else, I mean, he could he could do great. But I just, you know, I'm all about that, especially in golf. I mean, it's, you know, pitchers in, in baseball and probably golfers – like when you see an interview with them and you hear them talk in certain ways, if they're not in the right headspace, man, they're in trouble. So I like, you know, I tend to to steer from them. So I just want to give that out there about Shoffley because he may be the first guy in for some people as their pay up and uh, not sure he's completely playing at the top of his game. Same thing with Patrick Cantley. He's, he's been a little bit, uh, you know, uh, loose in the head, if you will, and not sounding super confident. So a couple of guys just to be a little wary of. Yeah, I think it's a good point because those guys usually are more reliable. Xander, we've gotten used to watching the ball come off his putter, and it usually looks so true and and it's so effective. And Cantley um, really has disappointed since the Masters, and yeah. uh, he's not been himself. No. But, uh, on the flip side, one more thought on Victor Hovland here. Uh, everything yeah. we've talked about, you also add in his last two events, tied for third, tied for third. He's just in such good form. Yeah. Chalk City for sure, Chalk no doubt. Chalk City, uh, but um, but worth it. It makes sense. Does make yeah. I mean, talking in chalk here, it, it, nobody is too chalky to play. I mean, you're building a lineup of guys. You got to go with who you think's going to do well. Uh, you know, the leverage, ownership, you know, all of those pieces. Yeah, you got to look at all of that in DFS. That's key. But in, a, in an event like this where you've got all great players, not just, you know, a heavy loaded group on the front side, you know, where you can steer from chalk to, you know, gain that leverage. You don't need to do that here because there's going to be truthers that, you know, are going to stick with Justin Thomas or, you know, or Jordan Spieth or Morikawa or Kepka. There's guys that are just going to stick with them no matter what, and they are going to get some ownership. So you don't really have to stress that as much. Um, and, you know, the salaries are going to make you diversify anyway. And that's where you're going to, you know, it's usually not the top 
finisher on your board that is the high-paid guy. It's usually those couple of guys in the middle that didn't get as much ownership, that are medium-priced, that have a top five that pull you across the line. Yeah, it's a good point. In, in PGA DFS, the chalk and the ownership is a lot different than, say, NBA. You know, you, you get popular golfers here. We're talking 20 to 25%. We're not talking right. 70 to 80 So it's not chalk no. like, whoa, gosh, I don't no. want to play him. Everybody's playing him. You, right. you know, more of the average-owned guys are more like 12 to 18%. And yeah. then you're really, you know, uh, GPP long shots are 1% to 5%. So yeah. don't be discouraged by hearing about, oh, this guy might be 25% owned. Yeah. Uh, that is somewhat chalky in golf, and it's fine to play those players. And and I think I get Patrick Reed maybe, what, 7-8% maybe, somewhere in there. Yeah, that, so, I mean, you that's know, the Those are the kind of things that help. That can happen when you get that group, you know, 85 to 9,500. There's yeah. so many attractive options there that it ends up the low the ownership percentages end up lower than you would have expected exactly outstanding well any other words of wisdom here uh i think we could wrap up uh this has been a longer pga show than normal but i think it's it was worth it because there's a lot of backstory there's a lot to sift through as you're building your lineups and i'll tell you what yeah, you know, I'm a basketball guy through and through, and I always will be, but I'm not going to miss much of this PGA event either. I'll be flipping around because this is going to be a great tournament to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. My final piece would be if you ever get a chance to play it, go do it. Uh, it is phenomenal. No no doubt. And listen, let's just real quickly finish up. Uh, don't shut me off yet. On the door, on the way out the door here, please cl- – Hit the thumbs up on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. We're getting close to a few goals there. And and click the alarm up in the corner. That will really get uh, you knowing exactly when our podcasts drop. You don't want to miss those. If you're listening to us through Spotify, uh, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeart, uh, Apple Podcasts, we're everywhere. Uh, quick five stars, quick thumbs up, or quick comments saying, you know, whatever, two, three words. Uh, that qualifies you uh, monthly for our man Joe Stanton to go through, look at who's done that with the stars and the thumbs up, and we pull a three-day pass winner out of there. If you want to get all of our golf, this is the day to sign up uh, because if you're with us uh, this afternoon, you get all the basketball and baseball tonight. You get Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So if you do the three-day pass for $10, you get all of our lineups for the PGA tournament tonight. And you get all of our weekend-only lineups, which we put out on Friday night for the weekend. So you get all of the golf you can eat. So if you're listening to this, jump in, try us out. Can't beat it for 10 bucks, um, And uh, we'll try to give you some winners. But uh, if you want to check us out on Twitter, Andrew is at Language Olympic. I'm at J-O-E-S-A-R-V-A-D-I. And... Uh, Really appreciate all the hard work behind the scenes by our whole DFS Coach Talk team. Um, had added a great analytics guy, John Wehausen, this week. So big shout out to him again. Uh, and he's going to be uh, helping us dive into even more in-depth golf uh, studies and all kinds of things. He's, he's really great. So awesome stuff, Andrew. Thank you for all the good wisdom and certainly the Boots on the ground, course knowledge, that definitely always helps. 
I expect you to send me a text saying I, my ball was right there and I got up and down. So yeah, right. I'm like, <laughs> or, or you can just type in other and right. I'll know what that yeah, means. A couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, final word, Andrew. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy the golf this week. And we'll certainly be back next week when we look to crush it in PGA DFS.